coming up next on this episode of the Unlock You podcast. There was even a moment in 2019 where Immersed actually ran out of money. This is, you know, a few months before COVID. I didn't know that COVID would hit and things would explode. And so I was like, you know, almost there. But November 2019, Immersed ran out of money. I remember going to my team. It was like eight of us, including me. And so I remember going to my team, like in tears saying, we ran out of money. You guys can go look for jobs. And what's so crazy is seven of those seven other people on the team unanimously said, you know, we're not going anywhere. You keep fundraising. We're just going to keep working. Wow. And it blew my mind because what's so crazy is it took six more months for us to then end up raising money for them to get a paycheck finally. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us. This is Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. I'm a clinical psychologist, leadership consultant, and a really big fan of you getting to fulfill your life purpose. I want you to get unstuck and unlock your potential relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and vocationally. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Welcome to Unlock You with Dr. Shannon Crawford. And if you've ever seen me go after a goal, I run after it, literally. I was at a venture capitalist conference and Renji, I don't know how to say your last name, I never asked. Bajoy. Bajoy. He spoke, he was intelligent and wise and young and disrupting the market of tech. And so I literally ran after him, guys. I have a picture on social media where I'm like, hey, we're complete strangers. And I'm going to ask if you'll be on my podcast. Fortunately, he said, yes, it is a huge honor. And I'm so grateful that you're taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So Renji, what is your current gig? What do you currently do and how are you changing the world with tech? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, right now I lead a startup that I started about five years ago. It's called immersed. You can check it out. Immersed.com. We're <laughs> partnered with, uh, meta AKA Facebook and Microsoft and others to build VR offices. And so as of right now, there are tens of thousands of people who uh, use VR as their main way of working with people remotely. So quite literally, you put on a VR headset, you pair it to your laptop, it spawns five screens um, because VR, you can just do anything, which is awesome. And so awesome. Uh, it spawns five screens. You can um, obviously have your portable distraction-free workspace that you could bring to your couch or your porch or on the road or whatever, and you have your screens with you at all times. But as soon as you want to collaborate with someone, they could uh, beam into your space, be sitting with you side by side, say you're a couple of engineers or designers, you know, you could code together or whiteboard together. Um, quite literally as if you're sitting side by side. And so the hope is that once Apple glasses come out or Facebook glasses come out, uh, this would be the definition of what it means to go to work by putting on those pair of glasses and teleporting into the virtual office. Even if you live in a boat in the middle of the ocean uh, and you connect to the internet using Elon Musk's Starlink stuff that he's coming out with. So uh, it's a pretty exciting future that we're building. Okay. So you just, you talk at my pace. So virtual reality glasses, you're the innovator. You have a company that's only five years old and yet you are like dropping the biggest names of ever in all the business world. All right. <laughs> How did that happen? What in the world? Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, when you say, when I say five years, it feels so long, meaning um, I guess in the high growth venture backed tech startup world, five years is a long time. And like, cause like the average exit is like seven years. And I'm like, I mean, so we're, I, I think our exit is going to be maybe 10 years total, maybe five years from now or something, or maybe eight uh -huh. years total, uh, three years from now. Um, but so for me, it just feels like I'm already kind of way past half, uh, half this journey. And so in the like tech world, I mean, you're like, yeah, <laughs> so, or 30, uh, 30. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it just sort of, it feels like it's been a long time. Uh, I guess the first three and a half years, um, Immerse was actually like struggling a lot. 
Um, we, we were really struggling to find people who believed in our vision. And then once, because, you know, it's before COVID. So once COVID hit and everyone started working from home, then it made sense to people, oh, I need a way to highly you know, coll collaborate with my highly collaborative team more than just Zoom or uh, chat, right? And so people just weren't able to whiteboard together remotely. They weren't able to share multiple screens or code together side by side like they used to do in the office. And so, uh, yeah, working from home, though it helps people focus more, uh, it didn't help collaboration at all. Collaboration plummeted during COVID. And so um, a lot of people started Googling virtual office or different solutions like that. And uh, Immerse started just skyrocketing in, um, yeah, just SEO. People were just like land, landing on our website somehow just all over the world. And so, um, yeah, by God's grace, Facebook reached out and said that they checked out all the different VR office uh, apps out there with maybe like 40 of them at the time, which is a lot, but there's a lot of like geeky techie people who are trying to build something. And uh, Immersed was their favorite. They thought it had uh, the easiest onboarding, the best user experience, even though we have a long way to go, um, but also the deepest technological mode. So like I said, we're the only app out there that you can pair your, your Oculus headset to your laptop and spawn five screens. There just isn't another app out there that does that, you know, even two years later. And so Dang. it's been pretty, it's been pretty crazy. Cause like right after that, we had uh, opened up a crowdfunding campaign. A lot of users said, Hey, you know, this, this is like kind of perfect timing, you know, during COVID for um, us to invest in Immerse if you let us. And so I opened up a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, then, you know, Immerse raised $2 million within two days. So I immediately closed it because I didn't want to dilute the company too much. Um, and then, uh, by God's grace, it hit Forbes 30 under 30 later that year, uh, right after we launched you the Oculus store. Slower. You're saying so many uh, mic drops. Okay. You uh, okay. Got, um, <laughs> uh, Forbes 30 under 30. Yeah. It's on uh, your bio. And I was like, what? How old is yeah, this yeah, guy? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I, well, the thing is, I, I guess I just didn't really, I didn't realize how important it was. Meaning like, again, I come from the coding world. And uh, I guess it's, re it's really popular, really important in the business slash finance yes, world. So for me, I got Forbes 30 under 30 and I was like, oh, that's cool. But then all of a sudden a ton of people started spamming me about congratulating me. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's a big deal. <laughs> and so, uh, but it was really cool because um, a lot that brought in additional angel investor uh, attraction. A ton of people were just kind of creeping on my profile, creeping on Immerse and finding out kind of our history and because they found out that we did a crowdfunding campaign like six months prior, um, they would reach out to me and say, Hey, would you ever do another crowdfunding campaign? And so I said, you know, I'm not sure, but maybe. And so I just took people's emails. And so once that list hit about 300 ish people, um, I then decided to open up another crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and then that, uh, campaign raised about 8 million within two weeks. And so, <laughs> so I just, I closed that and, and that allowed me to take the company to the next level, uh, and keep growing. And so at this point, uh, immersed is the top VR productivity app out there. Uh, period. There are thousands of people who work full-time in VR every week, um, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week, like literally two to four hour sessions at a time, go take a break, come back, put the headset on again for another two to four hours. And so they kind of do that repeatedly until they hit, you know, 40, 50 hours a week in VR. And so it's been really cool to see how, um, people have, we, we've, we've been, an, we've built an application that makes people very comfortable in VR. I know historically back in like 2016 and 2017, VR had a, um, a, a reputation for uh, nausea, not nauseating people and uh, you know, it being pixelated and stuff. But the new VR headsets are actually really, really uh, high quality, um, pretty low, uh, pretty low price, like maybe at 300 ish bucks. Um, and you get this pretty awesome virtual office that comes alongside it. So uh, yeah. So what is, 
spawning mean? So you said five. Oh, spawn. spawn. Yeah. Oh, it creates like, just like pops up out of nowhere. So just like you're, you're, uh, using the technology that we built, uh, when you pair your headset to your laptop, it'll just pop up five screens. You, you can, I mean, you don't need to have all five. You can close, mm-hmm. you know, two or three of them. Most people actually use about three screens at a time, right? So say for example, you have your chat open here, your email open here. Maybe some people at work have Excel spreadsheets or other things, sure. Netflix you're watching. I don't know what people are doing, but, um, <laughs> cause we don't, we don't record screens or anything, but, um, yeah. So people have That's different screens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, for coders, for example, for us, we have yeah chat open here, the app running here, the console running here, my code here. Yeah. It's just a bunch of different things that allow us to, um, be extremely flexible and productive in VR. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, having one little, 12 inch MacBook air screen sitting at a coffee shop is not nearly as productive when you have a million distractions around you. Sure. Um, and you have one little screen, right? So, uh, it just, there's less screen real estate, right? So that's why people do have multiple screens in the office, like physical screens. But for us, we, uh, have built a technology that allows you to bring those screens with you wherever you go. Um, and then whenever Facebook glasses come out and you, you know, you see people or, or Apple glasses, um, and you see people at the coffee shop that have like, you know, these really cool, sleek Apple glasses that come out in the next couple of years. Uh, the hope is that Immerse will be the main application that people will use to have their screens in there, meet with their coworkers, um, all those types of things and feel like you're uh, in your remote office, even though you're not physically there. That's amazing. Cause I have had, I'm an adjunct professor. I've had students mm-hmm. who try to come to class in zoom yeah. land with yeah. all the distractions. So yeah. would it feel like they're in the classroom if they were using your tech? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there are these, if you go to YouTube and type in Oculus, uh, face tracking, you'll see these photorealistic avatars. So there are these photorealistic avatars that, uh, Facebook's been working on that quite literally make it feel like you and I are actually like right here. Um, and, and even in the, the, the current version of avatars, it's not photorealistic. Um, that's like cartoonish. It kind of looks like you, but it's like a cartoon version of you. That's okay. how it is today. But when someone's avatar gets too close to you, you still feel kind of like, Hey, you're invading my personal space. So it feels very real. Um, let alone when it's actually photorealistic avatars in the next couple of years. So, um, I'm really looking forward to those photorealistic avatars because that'll allow us to really feel like it's quite literally as if we were, you know, grabbing coffee together, that sort of thing. And the whiteboarding. So you can invite somebody into your space. How does the tech do that and pick it up and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, the person who is remote, they, they essentially would have to have a headset too. Um, so if both people have the headset and uh-huh. they could feel like they're in the same virtual space together and yeah, you just quite literally pick up a virtual whiteboarding marker and you just start whiteboarding on the whiteboard. Uh, you'll hear kind of the sound of your, your marker touching the whiteboard, which is how you kind of get some feedback. Um, but yeah, it's just, it feels like it's pretty crazy. Uh, the leaps that your mind does in order to make you feel yeah. like you're doing something that you're not really doing. Um, same thing with things like, uh, air typing someday when we release, uh, air typing, you'll just have a virtual keyboard. You kind of put wherever, and you can just start typing and it'll, you'll hear the, the uh, keys clicking. You'll see the keys light up and it'll just feel like you're typing. Even though there's nothing physically there. Yeah. What? My mind is so <laughs> it's a lot of cool. What if you type yeah. with bad spelling? Like some people that you're talking to right now is me. Um, so what yeah. if you type weird, funny things? How does it know what yeah. you're actually typing if it's in the air? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the can- the headset actually has um, cameras on it. So it sees your hands. Um, and so it has actual hand tracking today. That's what the standard normal headsets have. I guess people just need to try it. I guess it's like, yes, it's so I crazy like futuristic. Most, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's so crazy because uh, the Oculus Quest headset was the number one uh, 
uh, electronic consumer uh, present or, or Christmas present uh, for the past two Christmases, 2021 and 2020. And so like, they've just been killing sales. Like there are more Oculus headsets that were sold this past Christmas than Xboxes. Just crazy. Whoa. So it's crazy how much traction VR is finally getting. And and if you look all over social media, you'll see everything about metaverse this, metaverse that. Uh, it's really if you haven't gotten a headset, highly recommend it. So it's only three hundred bucks. So oh my god! And by the way, amazing. those yeah, those headsets used to cost like twelve hundred dollars, and so Facebook obviously has figured out a way to get the price point super low. Actually, I think they uh, actually cost Facebook about five hundred bucks to make, but they're selling it for three hundred just so that people can kind of get it into their home, get used to it, get comfortable, and then over the course of time, hopefully it'll be kind of around the iPhone price. I hope they don't keep you know jacking it up, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if even Apple's uh, headset that they're releasing later this year, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's like two thousand or three thousand dollars. Whoa! Yeah, okay. it's, it'll be like the price of like a MacBook. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, for hey. Apple's, but well, it sounds uh, like that's all why the coding you put a lot of work in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, our team works full-time in VR. Half of us are in Austin, Texas. We're tw- about 25 people. Half of us are in Austin or a little less than half of us are in Austin. And then the rest of us are remote around the U S and around the world. So all of us, we work together in VR. Well, okay. So yeah. you obviously are super well-connected. You had tons of money coming into this industry. Everything has been super easy for you. Uh, tell us your story. Yeah, I wouldn't say super easy, but <laughs> it definitely maybe I make it look easy, but it's not it's not no, that easy. I'm I guess Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh oh gosh, I think you're serious. Yeah. Uh yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think growing up, I mean, I was, you know, my parents moved from India to New York City back, you know, maybe 40 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I my, my sisters and I were born in New York, but my parents had pretty low incomes because none of their degrees from India translated to anything in the US. And so my mom had to redo her schooling. Uh, my dad just did a bunch of different random odd jobs. Um, like he drove cabs, he drove uh, city buses and things like that. Um, my mom, she was, because her nursing degree didn't, it didn't count here in the U S um, she got uh, luckily got a job as like a certified nursing assistant. So just like an assistant, but then she had to do school full time to try to get her nursing degree again. Um, and then while raising three kids, while cooking, cleaning, all that type of stuff. So she was definitely a super mom, but, uh, we, we lived in a pretty rough area in New York. Uh, it was pretty, uh, kind of a lot of gang activity and things like that. Like a person was, uh, shot to death on our front lawn, that sort of thing. So it was a pretty dangerous area. And so I think once, um, our principal sent us, me and my sister's home and all the kids at school sent home a little slip saying, Hey, make sure your kids don't wear red or blue tomorrow. Cause the Crips and Bloods are supposed to have a shootout. My parents were like, all right, we just got to get out of here. This is not a safe place to live. So, uh, we ended up, uh, hearing about sort of this, uh, there was a ton of new houses being developed in the suburbs of Atlanta and Georgia. And, uh, I guess the local government there was just trying to give a bunch of tax incentives and things like that for people to move there. And so, uh, my parents was part of the wave of people from the Northeast moving down to Atlanta in the early two thousands. And so when I was eight years old, uh, we moved to the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, so very different context, right? Like in New York is very, very culturally diverse, but kind of low income area. We went to Atlanta where we had like a five bedroom home for like half the price of our two bedroom home in New York. Um, and, uh, in Atlanta, I had all the land, uh, but I was like the only like brown person there. Everyone else was like white around me. And so like the suburbs of Georgia, right. But, um, it's a very different context, but yeah, I guess sort of growing up, I, uh, I cared about school during middle school a little bit. Um, I, I played a ton of video games growing up. Uh, but then in high school, I, I picked up wrestling. I started weightlifting. I started like 
focusing on other things, focusing on girls and things like that. I wasn't a believer at the time. So I just had no sort of, I didn't really know what I was looking for in life. Um, and so I had a, I ended up graduating high school with a 2.6 GPA, but, um, it was, uh, yeah, I definitely did not try Even if I had five minutes of homework, I just didn't try. like, I was that kid that had uh, an 800 on his math SATs, perfect score, but then 2.6 GPA. So like, Whoa. clearly I wasn't stupid. I was just lazy. And so yeah. like, I, Under-motivated. Uh, yeah. And I was just like, eh, yeah, I was really motivated when it came to like video games and like being the best is crazy. Like I, uh, we had uh, major league gaming sponsors come to our house trying to get my parents to let me homeschool so that I can then fly around the U S and compete in a bunch of tournaments and stuff. And my parents thought it was a scam, which, you know, in hindsight, I was like, well, it's major league gaming. Right. So like, that's a pretty big, uh, name today, but back then it was kind of their first or second year of uh, existing. So, um, anyways, um, you know, graduated high school, you know, I was, I was applying to different high schools and uh, applying to different colleges and I only got into one college. Um, and it was, uh, it was Georgia state university. They had no, um, yeah, just very, very little requirements to actually get into that school. And, uh, yeah, I didn't get the scholarship that everyone else got. You, if you had at least a 3.0, uh, back then, in Georgia, you would get a full ride to any public school, any public college. And so, um, yeah, all of my classmates had the Georgia hope scholarship, uh, and they had their school paid for. Whereas for me, I was 17 years old, $7,000 in debt. I'd never seen $7,000 in my life. Cause you know, I had to take out school loans in order to go to school. And I guess I wasn't used to school not being free. And so, uh, but I mean, I guess a lot of kids that I had classes with, they continued having their school paid for. Um, and so ultimately, uh, it hit me pretty hard that I, um, just wasn't focusing and doing what I needed to do in life. And so I think that's kind of where, um, God started first working in my life. And it was a pretty big smack in the face for me to like hit reality hit me. Um, I then pulled Mac together, ended up getting just all uh, straight a, a pluses. Georgia state had a pluses there. Um, and then I was able to transfer to Emory university, which is a little bit better of a school, um, had uh, tuition paid for, um, through scholarships, uh, had to work, um, part-time as a technology salesperson, which is why I'm a coder who has some people skills. Uh, And so I ended up uh, doing a lot of technology sales to pay for living expenses and things like that. Um, And so, yeah, it was really cool to get a lot of different sort of uh, a variety of experiences. Uh, I was pre-med in undergrad along with math and computer science. Uh, Math and computer science was for myself. Pre-med was for my parents. Yeah. Because my parents, you know, pretty typical Indian parents. They want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. And so I, I, I tried it out. And yeah, you know, I, I remember I, I took my MCATs. I applied to med schools. I got into med schools, but as soon as I heard back from med schools and realized I was accepted, it started hitting me that I would actually have to go through with going to med school. And I was like, you know, I love coding. I don't think I'm going to go. So I threw all my acceptance letters in the trash and instead decided to become a software engineer. And my parents were super upset with me, but, um, they, you know, in hindsight, now they're super happy with, with, with everything that's going on uh, but yeah. back then. Yeah. <laughs> back then they're 30 like under 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, back then they just assumed I'd be just like everyone else. Like, Oh, everyone get, goes into coding and all that type of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I very quickly, once I got my first job as a coder, I realized I was kind of climbing the technology corporate ladder in a sense very quickly. Um, usually it takes about 10 to 15 years to be like a lead software architect at a company. Um, but by God's grace, within a year and a half of coming out of undergrad, I went from entry to mid to senior to uh, lead architect. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I hit somewhat of a ceiling in my career and I felt like 
I wanted to do more. Uh, I also didn't want to, uh, just work on different websites and apps that like other people wanted me to build. Like it just, I was worried. I was more, most recently working on like this time waster app. And it was cool because I led a team to build it from scratch. Uh, we growth hacked it to about 30 million or sorry, 3 million followers within two months. And so it was a pretty big success in uh, the short term, but it was just a time waster app. So those are meant to go viral. Those are meant to be addicting. And I was like, I don't want to build this thing. So, yeah. uh, I then transitioned towards a PhD at Georgia tech in computer vision and machine learning. So things like self-driving cars, autonomous drones and things like that. And so, uh, but then I realized there, there were a lot of people who super smart, but just didn't really care to do anything, uh, with their intelligence. Like they loved tinkering with drones, tinkering with technology, but then not really do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they would, it's not like they were shipping a product out to the world. It was just a research facility. Right. And so, uh, I, after about two and a half years, I realized this is not the place for me. So I quit that and then, uh, you know, settled for the masters, uh, and then decided to start immersed. Um, and so, yeah, we went through this program called tech stars in Chicago, uh, and for context, you know, these accelerator programs, yeah, it's, it's an accelerator program, which, uh, you know, these, these different accelerated programs are put on for, uh, startups to have mentors, advisors around them, VC firms, uh, other exited founders, um, people who can really kind of show you the ropes as you're building your company so that you don't have to like go out there and just like make mistakes on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of accelerator programs all around the world, but, uh, tech stars and Y Combinator are some of the world's like, uh, top accelerator programs, kind of like the Harvard Stanford, um, of, accelerator programs. And so, um, Y Combinator has company, like they're based in San Francisco. They have companies like, um, Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit, Twitch, Stripe, all those companies went through Y Combinator and then companies like Uber, ClassPass, Twilio, SendGrid, DigitalOcean, those all went through Techstars. Um, and so, you know, these are some of the world's top, biggest companies. And so I was like, okay, the fact that we even got to Techstars is you know, God's sheer grace. But, um, yeah, I found out that about 10,000 companies applied, uh, worldwide to this, uh, accelerator program and only 10 got in. And so we were one of the 10 in 2017. Yeah. And so it was awesome because, uh, we were surrounded by brilliant people like Ivy league students, you know, Harvard, Stanford, whatever. Um, and then the other half of founders already sold their first company for you know, millions of dollars. And, you know, so I was definitely an underdog cause I was not Ivy league and I was not a millionaire. And so like, I just, um, I, I realized that, you know, God had me in that program for a reason. And I realized the difference between me and the other founders was, um, that I knew how to build relationships with my team so that we can put in the hard hours, move fast and really motivate each other to keep going the distance. And so, um, whereas I guess a lot of the other teams, they were very transactional in their relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the, you know, one of the millionaires would just pay, uh, one of their hired hand engineers, you know, 200 K a year to work 40 hours a weekend. The engineers wouldn't really care about the company outside of those 40 hours. Whereas for my team, I didn't have money. So I had to hire people who believed in the vision, who cared about, uh, you know, being on my team specifically. Um, and you know, cause I was paying them in sandwiches, right? Like paying for their meals. And so, uh, yeah, it was really cool to see how, um, a lot of the other CEOs there were learning from me because, uh, they just didn't really know how to find startup mentality people. And instead they just kept hiring employees who, you know, as soon as the money's gone, they're out. Whereas for me, you know, there's even a moment in 2019 where immersed actually ran out of money. This is, you know, a few months before COVID, um, immersed ran out of money and like, you know, I didn't know COVID would hit and things would explode. And so I was like, you know, almost there, but November, 2019, uh, 2019, uh, immersed ran out of money. I remember going to my team. It was like eight of us, uh, including me. And so I remember going to my team, like in tears saying, uh, yeah, like, like we ran out of money. You guys can go look for jobs. And what's so crazy is 
Um, seven of those seven other people on the team unanimously said, you know, we're not going anywhere. You keep fundraising. We're just going to keep working. And it blew my mind because what's so crazy is it took six more months for us to then end up raising money for them to get a paycheck finally. And so, um, it was like a, a 950 K round, but half of that had to go back towards back paying them anyway, the past six months that they didn't get paid. And so we only had like 400 K left. And so I had to go fundraise again because we're going to run out of money in a few more months again. And so that's where we then, um, opened up a crowdfunding campaign, summer, 2020, um, and it hit $2 million within two days. And then, uh, you know, December that year was Forbes 30 under 30. And then three months after that, we opened up another crowdfunding campaign. That was the 8 million bucks in two weeks. And so it's been really cool to see how God's really provided for us along the way. And, um, our team just staying focused, working hard and like, uh, really, uh, caring about the vision really committing long, difficult hours towards it you know, paid dividends. And so now at this point, Immersed is uh, the world's top VR productivity application out there. According to Facebook, there just isn't a close second place. Um, And so, you know, obviously we want to keep building towards a vision where we can have these sorts of meetings by you putting on a pair on a pair of Apple glasses or Facebook glasses in the next couple of years. Um, Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Super grateful. Okay. So how would you recommend building teams? Every famous, wonderful, amazing, successful CEO I talked to mm-hmm. definitely talks about surrounding yourself with the right team and yeah. building that cohesion, loyalty, and passion. Mm-hmm. Because people, when they work from passion, they have a higher creativity and intelligence mm-hmm. level than if you're just working for a paycheck. Um, even mice don't work as productively. Um, yeah. So how do you cultivate good loyalty among your team and select the right team? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we do have a a very high bar for who we end up hiring at Immerse, meaning for every one person we end up hiring at Immerse, we did about 400 interviews. It's pretty insane. Like, and, and I know it sounds crazy, but like, uh, it's that important meaning, uh, you could have hired the wrong person. And had you just done two more weeks worth of interviews with other people, you probably could have found the right person. Mm. Um, and so then you have to like train up the wrong person, fire them at some point when they clearly don't do their job or don't care about the company or cause issues or whatever. And then you wasted so much time when you could have just waited two more weeks or whatever to hire the right person. And so, um, for us, the approach to hiring that we have is to try not to, uh, we, we try to do the best that we can to do what we can. And like, we wear multiple hats. It is a startup. So it sort of depends if you're talking to like, uh, early stage startup founders, you're talking to people who are just starting off their companies. Um, you need to only hire like-minded individuals. And what I mean by that is, if you're looking to hire someone or if someone ends up wanting to get paid a ton of cash at your company or whatever, it's the wrong person because they can get a higher paycheck at Facebook or Netflix or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if they're coming to your company, it should be someone who instead wants equity because they're, then they're incentivized uh, mm-hmm. to be there long-term and make their equity right. be worth something. Yeah. Um, and, and there's actually a much higher uh, from, you know, just straight mathematical terms, uh, mathematical terms, uh, there, there's a higher ceiling for what your equity could be worth than the amount of money you'd make through paychecks over the course of how many years. And so startups are a more lucrative business if you're successful at it. Um, and it's not easy to be successful at it, but what I'm saying is I think a lot of people, uh, they, they really struggle to, uh, be okay with receiving equity. Instead, they want cash up front. Uh, you're just in the wrong place. If you're going to a startup for cash, you just need to go to a large company to do that. Um, but as far as like the way that we hire people, uh, we only do job listings on AngelList. Uh, we don't worry about like monster.com or, uh, um, I don't know what AngelList is. I know that's probably, it's a, yeah. AngelList.com is a, uh, it's a startup job board. 
Um, it's hmm. become pretty popular. Yeah. And yeah, if you do like monster.com or careerbuilder.com or some of these other job boards, uh, indeed.com, you just, you, that's the sea of applicants all around the world. They're not, they're not necessarily startup people. So, um, those are, I wouldn't recommend trying to hire startup people from there. Um, I would definitely start with angelist.com because that's the place where people go for, um, working at a startup. And so, yeah, so that's one of the things that we do. We also make sure that whenever someone does inquire about a position, we send them three questions, uh, qualifying them before we take the phone call, just to make sure that they're the right type of person. Meaning like, why must you work at a startup? And then after that, you know, why must you work at this startup? Like why, why immersed? Um, and you know, like just different questions like that to kind of be able to better tell their motives and see if it aligns with what you're looking for. Um, and then we do a 30 minute phone call if they, you know, uh, thoroughly answered the question, if we're convinced that they're a person who'd be good, good fit for us. Um, it was funny. I remember back in the early days, I would wait until a candidate, uh, pinged us twice or hit us up twice, uh, before I responded, because I'm like, if they really want this job, they should definitely pester me about getting yes. a job here. So, cause I, I want to go get her type person. I want someone who really wants this job at this company. And so, um, that was a super helpful growth hack in the early days, uh, as far as hiring the right people. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, after the, uh, after we qualify that there's someone we want to meet with, we do a 30 minute phone call. The first 15 minutes of that phone call, I'm just pitching super hard about who we are while we're going to, you know, take over the world or whatever with the MERS and everyone's going to be working in VR and all of that, um, or AR or whatever the final device form factor looks like, um, and likely it'll be AR glasses. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so pitch them super hard for the first 15 minutes of the phone call. And then once they're at a point where, uh, they're like, wow, I don't care what my compensation is. I just want to be on that team. Uh, that's honestly, it's a good position to be in as a, an employer. And so then you can kind of, throw away the compensation conversation because that is not important to have up front. You just need to kind of see if there's alignment first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can ask them a ton of questions, right? They kind of lower their, uh, their guards for whatever reason, uh, candidates always have their guard up high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes it difficult to really get at the core of who they are and, and what they can uh, yeah. do. So, um, the second half of the call is then, uh, us asking them questions about, you know, why, you know, what are their skill set? Like what's their experience? Mm-hmm. Um, why they think they could help move this business forward. And so we don't really hire employees at Immerse. We mainly hire founder mentality people. We hire people who are part of our larger founding team. Um, because at the end of the day, like if you're a hired hand, you're just not going to take care of this, uh, startup that is a baby, right? Like we need people who want to parent this baby and help mm-hmm. this baby grow. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What are telltale signs of somebody who is the right founder? versus just a hired hand. Yeah. A person who doesn't care about having the compensation conversation early, a person who's just like, I honestly, I don't really care what you pay me. I just, I want to, I want to do something crazy. I want to be a part um, of mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what I've noticed is our best hires were people who've already made the money that they were trying to make before. Meaning mm-hmm. uh, they had the high salaries. They were making 500 K 600 K elsewhere as a coder or whatever at Netflix or Facebook or uh, Apple or whatever. And they made the money that they wanted and that they just kind of want to go to a next level. They want to have mm-hmm. world impact. And so again, that is a super high bar. Those people are rare. Um, but they do exist. And uh, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of them on the planet. And so if you're trying to build the world's most solid team, you got to find those people. So, yes. yeah. so what if you have a hard time at the beginning? So if we're talking to somebody, maybe they have vision, maybe they're excited, maybe they're struggling with capital and with people to help carry that vision. What would mm-hmm. you recommend? What are practical things at the very beginning before there's traction and excitement? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say do things that don't scale. Meaning uh, you probably have heard, I know the Airbnb founder says this all the time. Uh, Paul Graham who's another uh, influential investor in the space, uh, in the tech space says this all the time, like do things that don't scale. Meaning 
don't say, oh, in order for me to execute on my business, I have to first build an app. Mm. You really don't. Like I was talking to someone the other day who's building like a um, sort of a, a marketplace between uh, mom and pop shops and vendors who are, you know, creating their own, you know, uh, consumer packaged goods or like, you know, say I'm selling candles, but I need mm-hmm. shelf space somewhere and target's not taking me. So I want to find random pop, mom and pop shops who have shelf space awesome. that they're wanting to rent out. And so the, the point is that founder who was creating that marketplace, they said that, yeah, they don't have uh, a coder on their team. And I was like, that's cool. That doesn't really matter. You could just get all these people, put it in Excel spreadsheets and match them up manually. And, and if you get to the point where you have so much demand, you're going to find an investor who's going to want to give you money uh, to, for you to then go um, hire an engineer. And again, it has to be an engineer who understands the vision, mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't care about compensation. So you save a lot of money, you hire the right person, they're incentivized with equity. They're going to help move the business forward. Um, yeah. Just intrinsically are incentivized to, to do so. And I like the mindset of removing obstacles because a lot of times we stall because we see what isn't available instead of saying, well, how can I pivot and move around that? And then trust that that'll come when I need it later. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you stay mentally tough? You know, being a psychologist, I'm actually always going to ask those questions. Like what helped you stay the course when you're, you know, broke right before COVID and you don't know that in you know, three to six months, it's going to all be a a gold rush. But during that time, how did you stay the course and not just give up on your dream? Yeah. I mean, I think a a lot of founders, they go the wrong route by just trying to callous themselves. That's not the, I don't think that's the way to handle it. I think it's important to feel the weight behind um, what it means to come up against a roadblock, to almost fail, Mm -hmm. uh, to have issues on the team, uh, to have investors, uh, make fun of you, things like that. Like, I think it's important to feel those things because those things can be channeled as drivers for you to move, uh, even faster. Um, and to be real, like for me, I'll I'll just be straightforward and honest. Like God has carried me along through these things. what I mean by that is, um, because I have a relationship with God and whenever these things kind of make me feel very weighed down or whatever, I go to him to, uh, to, to, for him to carry the weight. Cause I, here's the thing. I'm trying to change the world and I'm a, I'm a, I'm one human being. I can't do that. And so, uh, but God can, and he yeah. created the world. So I, and, and so all that to say, um, it helps me take bigger leaps. It helps me realize that there's, uh, someone who's much greater than me, who's mm-hmm. opening doors that I could never open. Uh, and he, he has. And so at the end of the day, it's like, I know that because he's going to take care of me, it makes me fearless knowing that Come I'm going to be on a mission that he's the one who's opening doors. He's the one who's like taking care of all these things. I just need to walk, uh, alongside him. So all that to say, like, I think there are founders who I, I'll be real. I don't know how founders who don't have a relationship with God even do this. Um, it is so difficult. It is so depressing. Um, and most founders, because they don't have a relationship with God, they callous themselves and they try to figure out a way to kind of muster up the strength to just like plow through things. And in the end they break cause they're only human. Yeah. So. And then their personal lives suffer. Yeah. It wrecks their personal them. lives. Yeah. Cause then it's like your marriage, your kids, everything at yeah. home is falling apart because you're so obsessed, obsessed with your entrepreneurial pursuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how would somebody find an investor? just practical. Yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite answer is, uh, I love when investors find you, meaning you're just doing so well that, um, like, you know, there, there are startups that figure out a way to monetize so early and so quickly and investors are like, wow, that person's killing it. I wish, I wonder if there's a way I can get them my, my money into that startup. And then you have all the leverage. You don't have to be in a position where, uh, you're having to give and take some equity for an event. Like you get to have all the leverage in your favor mm-hmm. and, you know, the investor doesn't get to bully you in any sort of way. There's so many investors who do bully founders because founders need money to keep operating their business. And 
uh, investors have the money. And so in those types of scenarios, investors are the ones who are able to take, you know, 80% of your business and screw you over. And what I guess the thing that's so dumb is investors screw over the founder. And then that in sense, uh, in, in turn screws over the investor, cause that's their investment. Yeah. Um, and longer term, you're not going to get a return because the founder is going to fail. You just pretty much threw away your money and you, uh, impacted yeah. someone's life in a negative way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all that to say, um, my favorite approach to, uh, <laughs> to getting investment is again, try not to try not to have to yeah, get investment dollars. And by the time you get so much traction, um, that investors are just banging down your door. I mean, yeah, you're in a position where it's like, all right, well, yeah, well, we're going to be a rocket ship, whether or not you're going to, uh, <laughs> and we're going to you know, go to the moon, whether or not you're on board, but yeah, you know, I'll be, I'll be nice. I'll let you invest a little bit. And so, yeah. uh, it, it is helpful to have a little bit more rocket fuel, um, in, in, in the rocket. So if somebody does have a negotiation, what have you learned in working with venture capitalists or donors yeah. or funders or all the things, what would just be practical things if you were yeah. visiting with somebody to help them watch out and look for red flags? Yeah. Or... yeah. Well, I'll say number one, always be ready to walk away because yeah. uh, not only does it give you the most leverage, it also makes you totally fine if they give you a horrible deal for you to be like, okay, well, I don't need that deal. I just need to keep up uh, keep running my business. And so, um, so number one, always be in a position to be okay with walking away. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's better to have no investor than the wrong investors. Um, just like it's always better to have no co-founder than the wrong Mm co-founder. Um, but obviously ideally you have awesome co-founders and you have awesome, uh, partners in, uh, who, who are, who are investors. So, um, <clears throat> but if you do find investors who are a straight, uh, an awesome partner for you, like it was, um, one of the founders of Twitch who told me, um, Hey, like it, it, two things are important. <clears throat> you need to like the investor and they need to be giving you terms that you are okay with. And if, those, if either of those things are not true, you just need to walk away. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't take, don't take the money. And so if you're in a position where both of those are true, you like the investor and they're giving you good terms. Um, yeah. I mean, there's an, there isn't very, uh, it's, it's not rocket science. You just, you take the deal and, and the way you know, whether or not it's a good deal is you go talk to other founders. Um, and, 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 and cause here's the thing, investors are incentivized to get as much of your company as possible. It, it makes financial sense to them. Um, as long as it doesn't ruin your company. And, uh, you know, obviously for you, you want to make sure your team doesn't get diluted because the ones who are building the company are the ones who should be, um, making the most money out of this. And so, um, oftentimes I see founders do the wrong thing by being more generous with their investors than they are with their early founding team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely err on the side of being generous with your team over investors because investors are already rich. Uh, yeah. usually early founding teams are not. So, um, you definitely do want to incentivize your team because they're the ones who are going to be building this company long-term. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that makes sense, but I don't Absolutely. know if that answered your question. And how about just having attorneys look at things? Is that necessary or not? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's, it's always helpful to have a startup lawyer uh, on your side as well. So uh, make sure it's someone who doesn't work with the investor and someone who uh, is completely on your side, uh, but specifically a startup lawyer, not just any sort of general lawyer. Okay. That's good to know. I didn't know that was even a niche. Yeah. I love this world. I feel like yeah. very fish out of water, but it's exciting <laughs> to learn. Yeah. Um, okay. So when there's disappointments and setbacks, how do you, how have you been able to use that to actually create more, innovate more and roll with it instead of it stopping you in your tracks or if it does, yeah. how do you get back up? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I've learned over the course of time that there is always a solution. Hmm. That's just, that's just become truth. Um, to me, at least, um, I've never seen a, like, well, there are so many things that were seemingly impossible to overcome and we overcame them. And like, 
in hindsight, it's like, oh, why didn't we think of that earlier? It's like, there was a solution. We just didn't know what it was. And so it's just a matter of like, number one, it's not even, it's not even efficient to, uh, you know, be, you know, to fall into despair. It's you're literally wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there, there are always ways to pick people's brains around, you know, find the smartest people around you and tell them about the problem and see if there are ways that they can think about solutions for you too. Right. Like you don't have to figure everything out on your own. Uh, it's so important to build an awesome team whose brain you can pick and uh, not advisors that you incentivize that you have to like pay or give equity to or whatever, just smart mm-hmm. people who, you know, uh, and, you know, build relationships with them. And whenever you have uh, problems you're trying to solve, talk to them and pick their brain. Cause they're smart too. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess once I got to the point where I realized that every problem is solvable, that kind of makes you fearless and you just start trucking through stuff. So. And then you have faith to believe there's a safety net and there's a plan, something bigger than what you have to carry on your own shoulders. And I would assume that helps you not get stuck back in the emotional brain and you can stay in the prefrontal where you can pivot and think of long-term consequences and being able to strategize instead of always living with this fear and panic and dread. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that because anybody listening may be in a totally different industry, but I love how your past experience of maybe being in white Atlanta created (laughs) an environment where video games maybe were a little bit more appealing. Um, And then that set you up for now what you're doing today. In your last comments with our friends at the Unlock You community, what would you say to somebody who maybe they haven't had a traditional background, people haven't just handed them things, life didn't come easy, they didn't have family and wealth connections and all that. What would you say to just inspire somebody to go after their dream? Yeah, I mean, people who uh, start off already having everything they need are at a disadvantage because they're not, they're not the ones who are hungry to get something built. They're not the ones who are hungry to have businesses that are successful because they're already successful. They're already taken care of. Like there's no driver to really get them to accomplish that goal nearly as much as someone who never had it. Um, and so, uh, it was, uh, I think the head of Sequoia capital, one of the top VC firms in the world is saying, they mainly only invest in founders who have humble beginnings, modest beginnings, who have some sort of fire in them uh, that want them to achieve some sort Come of um, dream that you know other people who already had it handed to them can never achieve. So all that to say, like I think it's a lame excuse to say, oh, I didn't have this or whatever uh, handed to me. It's like if you if you need something handed to you, you're probably not going to build an awesome company. So. Definitely not as a founder, starting <laughs> yeah. from nothing and yeah. then creating something and all the pivots and the adjustments along the way. So I give yeah. you mad props. I'm so <laughs> impressed. I think you're Thanks. awesome. And I think that you're excellent and still carry your faith in a way that's really lovely and elegant. Those probably are not manly words. Sorry, but like <laughs> you do it well. And so I just also want to applaud you for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I hope we have you back in the future and you share more things that are blowing my mind about what the future (laughs) might look like. Yeah, for sure. Thanks Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being our guest. And hey guys, um, be watching out for any of your self-limiting beliefs that have told you you're not enough or you don't come from the right background or whatever, because having that hunger, having that fire means you're worth investing into. And you may be the next person who disrupts the market and creates a new reality that all of us get to benefit from. We love you guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. 
Hey, thanks so much for watching this episode of Unlock You. It is our dream to invest in you. And one of the ways you can do that is by getting more of the bonus material, the content, and to know about future events. Head to the website, drshannoncrawford.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and you'll be the first to know what we're rolling out. And we want you to truly get unlocked so that you can thrive, not only for yourself, but also for the greater calling on your life. Let's link arms and do it together. See you in the next episode.